0: Father, thank you for calling us. We're talking about unity, talking about building people up, building each other up. God, we're going to need you to fill us up because we lack so much in these areas. God, fill us because we know deep down inside we're works in progress. Give us the grace and wisdom this morning because you created each and every one of us with a purpose. You called us to this place with these people so that you can do something amazing in us, through us, and for us. God, inspire us to live into a calling that's greater than ourselves. Anoint us with your Spirit and let it flow from every facet of our lives. Let there be loving truth in my words today. Keep me out of your way so that your message can touch your people. Lord, let your glory be known in our lives now and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, but we're starting a brand new series this morning, and the series is called Community in Action. And in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to piggyback off of what we learned in the last six weeks in our last series, Identity Crisis, um, because all of us in the last six weeks, we should know who we are right? Your identity should be very solid by now. And if that's not clear to you what your identity is or who your identity is, let me define that for you right now. You are a child of Christ. Not because anything you did, not because anything I did or said or anybody anybody said or did, except through the blood of Jesus on that cross, right? You placed your faith in that and God made you an heir. He made you an heir to his throne. He made you an heir to be loved, to love. This is who you are. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter who says otherwise. It doesn't matter what you did in your past. What matters is who you are in Jesus Christ. That holds you firm. And that's what we're picking backing off of. This is what the Apostle Paul is going to look at in the next three chapters. From now until Easter, what we're going to examine is, well, how do we live out this identity in real life? Because it's great as head knowledge. It's great to know that we're a child of God, but we're not a child of God for no reason. That's what you have to know. You were called to do something. You were created to be something. And if that being someone is a child of God, you have a great calling on your life. And that's where we start right here in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, before I actually get into reading the next 16 verses with you all, I'm going to give you the outline of the next 16 verses because it's very dense and confusing. So the first two verses, verses 1 and 2, it's going to be Paul building off this idea of who we are in Jesus Christ, who we're called to be, our calling in life. And I know some of you are confused as to what that calling is because you're like, well, what am I created for? What am I supposed to do? And if you're 13 or 14 and you don't know, that's okay, you'll know now. But if you're 21, 22, I hope you find out soon. Hopefully by the time you walk out of the service. Because Paul tells us clearly who we are and what we're called to do. In verses three to six, he moves from calling, from who we're called to be, who we're called as children of God, to how we're united together in the body of Christ. So you're going to see Paul make this move from our calling to a call of unity. And then from verses 7 through 11, Paul shifts gears again, and he goes from, well, we are united as brothers and sisters, as a body of Christ, as a body of faith, but we're so diverse. What do we do with that diversity? And then he wraps up in verses 12 to 16. You're going to see Paul marry unity in the body, the diversity that we have as individuals, and how it really was created and intertwined with our calling in life. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And it goes like this. I, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that builds itself up in love. Amen. That was a lot. It was helpful that I gave you an outline, right? So, What I'm going to do now is I'm going to go into that outline. I'm going to go break it down piece by piece, right? So there are four sections that I gave you. I'm going to break that down for you. And the reason I'm going to break that down for you is because I want you to take this away. You're called. You're called. That's clear in verse 1 and 2. You're called. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love let me make let me translate that he's saying don't be a hypocrite don't be a hypocrite walk the talk if you say you believe in Jesus as your savior live like it do something with that it's great that you think that but now do something with it don't be a hypocrite walk the walk walk the talk this is a defining the relationship sermon all right So if you single guys are still wondering, well, why am I still single? It's because you can't define the relationship. It's because you can't commit to anything, right? Am I lying? All right. It's the same thing with, you know, coming to church. We can't decide whether we're all in, we're all out, or we're in between. Let's define the relationship. If you believe you're a child of God, which you should, right, right? Because you did nothing to earn it. You're not paying for it. You received it as a gift. And if that's your identity, if that's where your hope is, you got to be all in. Otherwise, what are you saying about what you believe? Are you saying that you don't believe what you say you believe? And that, that's exactly what Paul is saying. We admitted we were sinners. We, we believe that Jesus died for us on the cross. He was resurrected on the third day. And now... We have hope, we have this brand new life. But does our life reflect that brand new reality? Children, child of God? And if the answer is no, this is Paul telling you very tactfully, wake up. I'm urgently telling you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. I'm a little less tactful than Paul. I'm like that weird cousin that you avoid during the holidays because I don't have the social graces right? This, this is what it is. I don't have the trees. I don't have the time to tell you. You have a brand new life. Make it count. Make it count. This is what we're called to do. Make it count. And so I know some of us were waiting. We're saying, God, what are you calling us to? What do you want us to do in life? But if you were Christian for more than five minutes, you have something to add. You have perspective. You have experiences. You have done things and seen things. It counts for something. You are saved for something. You were saved for the ministry of the gospel. Now, if you're trying to figure out, well, how does it all play together? What does it mean in real life? And you're still questioning Jonathan. That's great in theory, but what does it look like? Um, Paul goes into verse 2 and he gives us four verbs, four characteristics that none of us embody. I know I don't embody it on a regular basis and that's okay because I don't have it all figured out and that's okay and that's what I'm telling you. It's okay if you don't have it all figured out but I'm doing something about it. I'm doing something living into that calling. So because I don't want this to be Christianese because we've heard these verbs, we've heard these words so often let me define them for you. So the four verbs that he says in verse two in all humility, gentleness, patience, love embody your calling. That's what makes your calling worthy, when you embody these characteristics. So what does the word humility mean? Humility is not humble, right? It's not humble bragging. It's not like, oh yeah, that was no problem, right? That's not humility. That's nothing. Humility is knowing that you can do something better, and you can do it well, and you know what you deserve for it. But taking yourself and putting yourself in a posture saying, I know I deserve better. I know I could do better. But I'm going to lower myself to serve. To do something that considers others more than myself. So if you're a husband and you're like, well, I washed the dishes on Tuesday. That's not being humble. That's not humility. That's not even the bare minimum. Right? That's nothing. Humility is saying, I am going to sacrifice, knowing it's going to cost me something. Knowing full well That I can do something else, but I choose not to because of you. This is what Jesus did on the cross, right? He emptied himself and became human. Not because we deserved it, not because we earned it. But that's humility. This is what Paul is telling us to embody. What an impossible ask. And then he goes on and he says, well, if that wasn't enough, if that was too easy, then you also have to be gentle. Being gentle is not being nice. There's a difference. Being gentle is not being nice. Um, The old King James translates this word gentle into the word meek. Meek is not shy, people. Meek is despite the strength and despite the ability to do something, it's choosing not to do anything about it. So if you are wronged and you are meek, It means, yeah, you could have done something, but you chose not to. You chose not to. You are directing your strength in a different area. You're not picking that fight. You're not getting loud and belligerent. You're being meek because it was your choice. You weren't subdued. You chose it. That's what gentleness is. Try embodying that when you're on the phone with a customer service rep just imagine that, right? Just imagine that. Like, th- th- this is real. Like, he, Paul says, embody this. And then he goes and he says, well, be patient now. Be patient or, or be long-suffering, knowing that revenge is yours, knowing that you could do something about it, knowing that you hired somebody and you have to wait. Goodness, 90 seconds at McDonald's, <laughs> right? Right? be patient. Patience isn't just that, right? Patience is saying, well, I have a hot temper. I know I could do this faster, but I'm going to bear with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm not going to move ahead of you. I'm not going to skip you. I'm not going to dump you here on the side of the road, but I am going to walk with you, with somebody else. And then he says, well, do it in love. Not not the feely love, like, oh, I feel love, butterflies. All right? love, love, love is not that. Love is not a feeling. Paul is talking about love as an action. Love as covering up someone's weirdness, someone's annoying behaviors. Love, people, is not tolerance. It's not tolerating someone snoring. All right? It's not putting up with their love for people in gold tights and football helmets. That's not what love is. That's tolerance. Love is sacrifice. Love is an action that you take because you are covering their inability, their shortcomings, their shortfalls. So if we have to be honest with ourselves and we're told, hey, this is our calling to embody these characteristics, that's what we're called to do. That's where Jesus says, go live. Live it out. Doesn't matter what it is, but you do it with these characteristics. What would happen? What would happen with our lives? Wouldn't we be walking the worthy calling that we're called to? Wouldn't we be doing something bigger and greater than ourselves? The answer is absolutely yeah, we would. We would see the world changed By just these changes in our behavior. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to switch a little bit and show you how when you embody these four characteristics, there are three actions that we can take that are so tangible to just our church body that it's impossible for you not to do anything once you leave today. So the first action that you need to take if you start embodying these characteristics is this. Humbly maintain unity in the body. This comes from verses 3 to 6. And it goes like this eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. To explain this, I'm just going to copy what Dr. Martin Luther King preached in 1956 in a church in Alabama, okay? And he is playing the part of Paul. He's playing a role here. He's acting out, a role where Paul actually writes a letter to the American churches. And the sermon that he preaches actually called Paul's letter to the American churches. And it's based on these three verses here, verses three to six. And it goes like this. Americans, and he's writing from the perspective of Paul, so I'll keep that in mind. Americans, I must remind you, as I have said to so many others, the church is the body of Christ. So when the church is true to its nature, it knows neither division nor disunity. But I am disturbed about what you are doing to the body of Christ. They tell me that in America you have within Protestantism more than 256 denominations. The tragedy is not so much that you have such a multiplicity of denominations, but that most of them are warring against each other with a claim to absolute truth. This narrow sectarianism is destroying the unity of the body of Christ. God is bigger than all our denominations. He continues, There is another thing that disturbs me to no end about the American church. You have a white church and a Negro church. You have allowed segregation to creep into the doors of the church. How can such division exist in the true body of Christ? You must face the tragic fact that when you stand at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning to sing all hail the power of Jesus' name, and dear Lord and Father of all mankind, you stand in the most segregated hour of Christian America. That was true in 1956. It's true today in 2020. All of this is true. But here, here at Woodside, we don't have a segregation problem, do we? We don't. We don't, right? But you know what? We have an ideological problem. We allow small things to divide us. Things that are temporal, things that are meaningless. Here's some examples of what, what that is, right? So, you know, there are certain words, certain things, certain topics that when we say, whether it's political, philosophical, whatever it is, right, um, we get the chills and we will walk out. We will leave, God forbid if we play the music a little too loud, people walk out this church. God forbid that, right? I mean, but when I say the word Democrat or Republican, I know that brings chills. Pastors shouldn't be using those words. That's sinful, right? We, we, we shouldn't be saying immigration. We shouldn't be saying evangelical. We shouldn't even give allusions to the Wolverines or the Spartans or the Buckeyes. All oh, those Buckeyes. Right, and I know you have fought your family hard because, come November, you voted for—I mean, rooted for—the wrong team. You've split. You haven't spoken to your brother or sister in weeks after that game, after the elections. Right? Like this is true. This is happening. Right? Some of us—we're just thinking, man. Calvinism versus Arminianism. You'll divide over things like that, and some of you look at me like, what does that mean? And I I don't know. I can't tell you (laughs) because it doesn't add a value or have anything to do with my regular real life. Neither does it do yours. And this is Paul saying, what are we doing, church? This is what we're splitting over. Vocabulary that means nothing. Can you tell me the difference between a Democrat and a Republican these days? They don't have a platform. There is no difference. They're all cheaters, liars, and cons. That's what's proven. That's what's in the news, right? Come on. But we have one Lord, one Jesus, one hope. We are a child of God. That's what we're unified in. Let's stay unified in that. We have to be humble enough to unify in that because we all have preferences, don't we? We all have things that we want. We all see things differently. But when we humble ourselves to being united, It changed how we act and give and love and are patient with each other, with one another. That's what membership's all about. Some of us, we're so afraid of commitment that we've been coming to this church for years. We're not members. Let me tell you something about membership here at Woodside. It's one class, people. One class. (laughs) One class. We offer it every single month right? Every single month. But you're afraid to walk in for one hour. What's wrong with you? <laughs> right? But here's, here's why we want, to be, we want you to be members, and this is why we push it so hard. We push it so hard because when you're a member, you are saying, I humbly, 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 humbly want to be united with people who believe the same things that I believe that Christ is Lord, that Jesus died for my sins, that he was resurrected on the third day, and that I get to walk with other people in my faith. And I'm going to do that, being united with people, because we weren't meant to walk faith alone, to live faith alone. This is what membership is. Is it that hard? Absolutely not. You all got this in your bulletins. Look, I'm going to make this so easy for you. On the back, all you have to do is write your name, right? You don't even need to give me your phone number or your email address. Just give me your name. Put it in that box on the Connect desk. Show up to class 1030 next week. Look how easy it is. 1030 next week, show up. Learn what it means to humbly put yourself in a position where you are willingly being united with people who believe the same thing as you. I mean, membership is a commitment. It's a commitment for all of us to say, you know what, I'm going to join together with people on Sundays and in groups so that we can be united as a family. Not, I'm too busy living my best life, but I am going to sacrifice something for somebody else to be with other people because you are now part of something greater than your own greater than anything that you can achieve by yourself. Commit. Commit to this. The second action that we can take that's worthy of our calling is to actively minister to the body. Let's look at verses 7 through 11. And so keep in mind now Paul is moving from unity. We're united because Christ died for us, because that's where our hope is, because that's where we're called to be to now let's celebrate our diversity, because we weren't created equal in this. We were created different for a reason. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Notice, plural here. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the prophets, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Grace, the grace that was given, that's faith. We believed in faith. We believed when we had no reason to believe. The gift we get, salvation, now that we have salvation, we have to understand God gives gifts. He fills those gifts. And and let me me translate this to you. Yeah, it means skills, talents, but also means your experience, your perspective. Like my gifting is not as a plumber. You do not want me at your house trying to plumb for you. Not a great idea. I will plug that up even harder, right? You will have to reline your whole story. This is true, right? But if you had been Christian, if you believed in Jesus for more than five minutes, you will know that your life story to this point is different from every other person. You have perspective that's invaluable that only you can offer. How amazing is that? That's incredible. This is your gift. And it's unique to you. It's unique to you. I can't replicate that myself. I can't wrap it around. John can't do that. Like th- That's not what it is. But here's what's more more, more interesting, right? He says, you have gifts. You were given gifts. And then he goes, unless the apostles, the prophets, right, teachers, shepherds. This is church staff. He, he doesn't say, you were given gifts so that church staff can do ministry. He flips that and he says, you were given gifts. And the church staff, they're here to help you with your ministry. You're called to a ministry. You're called to minister to somebody. I can guarantee you right now, in your hurts, your your pain, your loss, there's somebody you can minister to right now in your row. In your row. Just think about that. And when you do think about that, you, you, you start wondering, why haven't I? Because if you're not wondering that, what are you? Just a warm butt on a seat? <laughs> Worthless. You're missing out. But imagine we're, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable with that addiction that I told nobody about. We're, we're vulnerable with, you know, doing things that we shouldn't be doing. And we shared that you'd be actively ministering to somebody going through the same things. You'd be helping somebody else out. They would be helping you out. Wow. You're building the body. You're ministering to somebody because you're vulnerable, because you're honest enough to say, hey, I have a problem. I have some issues. I'm going to share that. Let me teach you what I learned. I want to hear what you learned. There's unity in that diversity, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. I want you to know each of us have a gifting. Each of us are responsible for that gifting. So, we opened up this warming center yesterday. And for all of you who have sacrificed and donated goods and services, thank you. From your heart, you've done something good. For those of you who are volunteering your time this week, thank you. You have a unique gifting. You have a unique experience. And the people who are coming in as guests, they do too. And we're going to build each other up. We're going to build each other up. In fact, people believe in this so much that people who don't even follow Jesus, people who have no place in our church because they're located far, far and away, they're giving to this cause. They're donating to these cards because they've heard about your heart, because of the actions that you're doing to minister. Because they want to empower you, not to empower Jonathan, not to empower John, not to empower Woodside Royal Oak, but to empower you for ministry. And if you're sitting on the sidelines, be ashamed. You've missed out on an opportunity. Why have you let this pass you by? You could have done something. You could still do something. Why are you letting people who don't even believe in Jesus take your responsibility up? Just think about that. Why are we allowing that to happen? Yes, it's great. God will get his work done, he's going to use big corporations. But he wanted to use you, his child. This is your calling. This is your calling. Don't just sit around. Be vulnerable. Minister to somebody. Get to know somebody here in this body of faith that we have. I'm sure, so very sure, that you have a lot more to offer than you think. Here's my final point. Lovingly speak truth to the body. You see, the purpose of us using our gifts to actively minister to our body of faith is so that we can speak truth. To speak hard truth sometimes. But when you look at this, to speak truth and love, um, it's not just saying hard things in a nice way. It's not softening the blow. right? So let me tell you what it's not. Because that's easier for me to describe. It's not me going like, um, I'm going to fire you because you suck at your job. But you have a great character, you'll get picked up by another company soon. That, that's not hard truth, all right? That's not softening the blow. That's not what Paul is talking about. It, it, it's not, right? It, that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about saying, hey, you're living in sin. You say you are one thing, but you're messing up. And some of us, we, we gotten to a point where we're so nice, so patient, or so we think we're patient, But what we're really doing is we're avoiding the hard conversation. You left your family. You stopped going to work. Get your butt back to work. Get your butt back to family. Stop doing drugs and alcohol. It's messing you up. We're so afraid to say that. We're so afraid of confronting people with the truth that it pains me. And it pains you because I know you're thinking about it. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, speak truth in love. Speak to, see, to people around you. Knowing full well that, you know what? I see a problem. I see an issue. Let me do it lovingly. Not, not let's, let's do it and let's make him feel bad or let's make her feel bad about them messing up. But let's do it so that they correct their life. To show them the perspective that God has of their life. To show them what God thinks their life is worth. This is what we do as a church, family. We don't let each other bomb out and fail. We, we, don't, we don't take pleasure in that. We don't brush it under the carpet. That's not who we are. That's not what we're called to do. But even if we just did that, you're living into your calling. You've impacted somebody's life. Just, just imagine that. What if we were all here speaking loving truth? Wouldn't we be building each other up? We would be. And I mean, that, that, that's the big idea. That's the big idea today. The body flourishes when the body's built up. When we embody humility, gentleness, patience, love, then we can humbly be united. We can actively minister to the body. We can speak truth into people's lives. We build each other up. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes that body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's revival. That's world change. When you live into your calling, And it's so easy. It's so easy. If we just do that, society changes because we start impacting people right around us. Not Jonathan, not John, but you. You are way too valuable to sit there and do nothing. You have way too many gifts, and there are many people who need you to use those gifts. Jesus understood that he had to pay the price so that we could realize our value. Not in some areas of our life, but all areas of our life. You're not disqualified because you don't have it all together. You're qualified by the blood of Jesus. Remember that. There is no escaping that love. Go with that boldness and seek to minister and build the body up around you. Listen, if you've never believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, make that decision. Make that commitment to believe in God who comes and loves you not because of what you did, not because of what you earned, not because of how many degrees that you had, but because you are you, because He created you, because you in all your flaws are worthy of being called a child of God. Make that commitment. Join this family. Join the body. He put brothers and sisters around us to help us carry each other's burdens. Live into that. Carry one another. And if you want to live a life worthy of that calling, pray with me right now. And because we're united in our diversity, pray together, everybody. Father, thank you for uniting us with your Son in one body, in one hope. We didn't deserve this gift of life, but you bought it it for us and you gave it to us. You sent your Son, Jesus, to save us from our sins so that we can be called to do a work that you created us for, a work that is beyond our natural abilities or desires, a work to equip our brothers and sisters. God, just help us commit. Commit to having a unified hope in you that we can be rooted in humility and gentleness and patience and love that goes beyond our knowledge. Lord, help us to actively minister and to speak truth so lovingly that your body can be built for great gospel ministry that you've been charged us to. Empower us for this cause. Make us bold for this cause. Thank you for calling us your own. Thank you for giving us brand new life. Lord, help us live into this worthy calling. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.